I want to begin this evening by continuing the focus of our brother, uh, Pastor Roland Bryan, by giving thanks to God for once more sparing us here in Nassau from the awful devastation that accompany severe hurricanes. We want to pause to thank God for that. We also want to pause to pray for those who have already experienced such devastating impact in their homeland, and also for those who face the probability of doing so, such as Haiti, Cuba, Turks and Caicos, New Orleans is even again in the sight of this uh, Ike, and of course the other Gulf Coast areas as well. So I think it's just fitting for us to pause again, though we prayed, and I'm going to ask Brother Frank Pind, if you don't mind, thanking God for sparing us, Brother Frank from this hurricane time. And Brother Alan Albury, if you would pray for those who are still in the past of the hurricane and for those who've already experienced it. And as these men pray, uh, you pray along as well, thanking God that we have been spared, but praying for those who are in the hurricane site again. Brother Frank, would you mind praying? Lord Jesus, we thank you tonight for your many blessings upon our lives each day as we live. And Lord, as pastors mentioned, all the devastation around these islands has happened. We know many of those folks, Lord, have lost their homes, lost many things of life. But Lord, we pray tonight that many of them will come to know you as Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Through tragedy, many people will turn to you. Things are going fine, they seem to forget you. But tonight, Lord, we do pray for those that are out there who have been struck. And just, just the words seem to not come, but Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit will just give them comfort moms and dads and children down through the Caicos Islands tonight and Haiti and even into Cuba and round about the islands of the Bahamas, Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit will just meet every need in every life and somehow, someplace, somewhere that we can help as a nation to help these people. Lord Jesus, as we give of our substance to help them and to send to them that we may see great and wonderful things happen for them. And we give you thanks. May your love and your kindness rest upon their lives tonight. And we do continue to pray for these hurricanes as they travel, as they go north and south and wherever they're going. Lord, that the Holy Spirit will protect lives and be with them and guide them. We thank you now for this service. Bless every part of the service and every part is being ministered to already. We pray with thanksgiving in Jesus' lovely name. Amen. Our Father, we thank you once again that we can come to you on behalf of the people that's going to be in the path of this hurricane. We just pray, Lord, that your will be done as the storm travels and that there will be not too many deaths, Lord, that your hand of protection will be upon them. We want to thank you also, Lord, for the weather people that... Um, 
tracks these storms and hurricanes. If it wasn't for them, there'd be many, many more lives and destruction. We also want to thank you, Lord, that your hands will be upon the people that fly these planes into these hurricanes. That you will give them strength, Lord, give them wisdom and protect them and keep them from danger and harm. In thy name we pray. We've tried to contact uh, Phyllis to see what's going on and then we're going to be of help in any way. And I'm sure we probably will be coming back to the congregation. But uh, she was in the United States. So in one sense, that was a good thing. And we thank the Lord for her safety. But we will be trying to make contact and see if, how best we, as Brother Frank was praying, how we might be able to meet some needs at this particular time. Now, one of the questions that usually come up when we are faced with physical and natural catastrophic events, which some call acts of God, such as hurricanes, storms, what do you call it, volcano eruptions, um, fires, floods, and so on. Uh, one of the questions that is usually asked is, is God responsible for these events? Now, of course, the insurance people think so because they call them acts of God. And once they're acts of God, they don't pay for them, you see, these acts of God. They only pay for acts of men. Some ask, does God utilize these events if he is responsible for them as instruments of judgment against the world? Are they the means of God showing judgment upon the wicked? Some would ask, if that is so, why would a loving God either cause or allow such horrific events to occur? Even leading theologians and preachers and pastors are sometimes <clears throat> so concerned about being politically correct-minded that they do not want to answer these questions theologically. I remember, for instance, 9-11, right after that, we had people like Billy Graham, we had... Rick Warren, uh, we had um, the Crystal Cathedral um, gentleman, I'm sorry, to, you know me names, Shula, and uh, some of these, and also uh, the other amazing preacher, I forgot his name, but very outstanding, well-known, and they were asked directly, do you think this is an act of God? Do you think that this uh, was a judgment? And none of them answered directly. How can we know? We can't say that, you see. I think it was only Billy Graham's daughter who was brave enough to come out and say, yes, this could be an act of God. In fact, it is an act of God and could be a means of judgment as well. But it's amazing how we, are, we seem to be confused about the character and the nature of God when it comes to these types of events. And so tonight, what I would like to do is to look into the Scriptures once again to see just how much God is actually involved in storms and hurricanes, earthquakes, famine, and such events that causes such devastation upon the world. Is our God responsible for these? The God we love? The God we serve? The God we worship? Is He responsible? Well, I want to begin with this direct overall statement, and is this. Yes, God controls 
all of these events. If God is sovereign over all, He has to be in control. He has to be. If we say no, then we disperse the character and the sovereignty of God. So we must begin with this statement that I believe and I'll try to demonstrate is based on the Word of God. God, the triune God, controls everything that happens on this planet. What we call good and what we call evil. Now for some, that's a very disturbing question. Well, all I have to do is to say, as before we get into this, to cause you to think biblically rather than being politically correct is remember even with Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 2, Peter is very clear that God predetermined long before the events and the people who were involved in it were born, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And he called the people who did it wicked men. That means he's holding them responsible for the things he had planned. That's sort of heavy, isn't it? But that's God, as revealed in Scripture. Now let me say one thing as we go along here, because you're going to be thinking tonight. All right? We must not reject or accept a doctrine based on how we feel about it. You understand what I'm saying? We must not reject or accept a biblical doctrine based on how we feel about it. In fact, there's some things the Bible teaches I don't like. And if I was God, I wouldn't put it in the Word. I don't like it. But it's in the Word. And God, who is just, God, who is wise, God, who is holy, He wrote it. Therefore, I must accept it regardless of how I feel about it. Because God is sovereign. And if you cannot accept the sovereignty of God, you are in a lot of trouble. You are also in a lot of trouble when you accept it. That's why we must be thinking Christians. Otherwise, we'll be tossed to and fro all the time. That's why we're singing just now, our faith must be, must be uh, deeply embedded within that rock, Jesus Christ. But let's go on. I believe that the triune God is an absolute and final control of all that occurs on this planet. And he uses them all to finally work out his own perfect will for mankind. God works the good and the bad from our perspective. You see, not everything we see as bad and evil is bad and evil in God's sight. It might be in ours, but not necessarily in God's sight. You say, boy, that's some... Well, let me give you a very simple illustration. Remember Joseph? His brethren put him in the hole, sold him, thinking what? To do him evil. What did God's plan for it was? Good. From God's perspective, that was a good thing. From man's perspective, it's an evil thing. Our thoughts are not the thoughts of God. Our, the way we think are not God's thoughts. You understand? As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts, says God, above yours. We've got to be careful that we don't try to make God into our own image. Now, we're made into the image of God. But let's be careful we don't try to make him into our image. Leaving him out. You understand what I'm saying? Very important here. Listen to this verse. Job chapter 37, verse 9. A tempest blows out from its chamber. It's coming from a certain source. Icy cold 
from the driving winds. He's describing a blizzard, if you want. Something that is awful for man to experience. The breath of God produces ice. Not climate, what do they call it? Warming. Global warming. The breath of God produces ice. The ice that causes these blizzards. And the breath, the breath of the waters freeze solid. He loads the clouds with moisture. He creates the rain. He scatters his lightning through the clouds. He's responsible for the lightning storms. Even when the lightning hits somebody under the tree. The clouds go round in circles, wheeling about according to his plans. Not haphazardly, not in a chaotic fashion, according to his plans. Do you believe this is the word of God? So when you look at, you see all the lightning, you hear all the thunder and all of that, you say, boy, look at all of that chaos. Mm -mm -mm. They're going according to his plans. Notice, to carry out all that he commands. All that he commands them over the face of the whole inhabited earth. When I read it, I said, wonder about the past is not inhabited. But all of God's planet is inhabited by creatures. He's responsible for everything that happens. Whether it is for punishment, for his land, that's a vital statement here in this age when we think about ecology. Whether it is for punishment for his land, his creation. He punishes us. He punishes people, things, animals for mishandling his land. Or whether it is for mercy. He uses these things even to show mercy. That's right. In the midst of all the chaos, of all the devastation, mercy is to be found. He causes it. Now notice, it doesn't say he allows it. He causes it to find his mark. That's the word of God. Do we like it? To think that God is responsible for all of these chaotic, devastating things? No, I don't. But the Bible says it's God. And whether I like it or not, that's God's work. Notice it says, according to his plans, he causes it to find its mark. There can be no doubt about it then. Biblically, theologically speaking, God is in control of the hurricanes and all of the catastrophic events that occur on this earth. He has to be, if he is to be fully sovereign as the word of God teaches. He has to be. And you have to start from that point. You cannot start from the point of trying to find out the reason. You have to start at the point of looking at the character of God. Now a question comes up, especially according to the passage. Why does he allow these things to occur? 
He says whether it's for punishment or whether it's for mercy. There's some reasons behind them. Again, let's go to the Word of God. When we do that, when we go to the Word of God to find out the reason why God causes these things to happen, we find them that He uses these things to judge the wicked, to discipline the believer, to increase faith, and also to encourage our perseverance in the faith. Let's look at the scriptures to see if this is true. First of all, he uses these catastrophic events such as hurricanes and earthquakes and so on to judge the wicked. Here again, the word of God, the prophet Nahum, chapter 1, verse 2. Now these are another some words that you don't like to hear. The politically correct do not like to hear. A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. Now, Oprah Winfrey don't like that. That's why she rejected him. How can a God be a vengeful God? An avenging God. Notice the words. A jealous and avenging God is Yahweh. That's the word Lord. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The one true and living God. He is a jealous and avenging God. Notice, he didn't stop there. Yahweh is avenging and wrathful. Do you like those words describing your God? Do you? You could talk if you want. Do you like those words? By the way, if you have any questions, anything you want to ask, please interrupt. But we don't like those words to talk about God. What words are we? Loving, kind, gracious, forgiving, compassionate, not wrathful and vengeful, but both things are true of the God. He's loving, but he's wrathful. He's kind, gracious, but he's vengeful as well. Notice now what it says. And here it, why, what he, how he describes it. The Lord Yahweh takes vengeance on his adversaries. You see, that's where his vengeance, vengeance goes. That's where his wrath goes. Towards his enemies, his adversaries. And he reserves wrath for his enemies. You have to see that. It's always directed. God's wrath is never, never, never directed toward his own people. Why? Because his wrath was all poured out upon Jesus Christ on the cross. And because he experienced our wrath, we will never, never more ever face the wrath of God. But the enemies of God will. These are amazing words. God is a jealous God. He's an avenging God. He's a wrathful God. But notice, it's always against his enemies. Look at verse 3. And here now is something, another evidence of grace. There is never anywhere mentioned in Scripture. Judgment is never mentioned anywhere in Scripture unless you find somewhere grace also is mentioned, either before or right in the midst. Look at this verse. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. He's slow 
to manifest his vengeance. He's slow to demonstrate his wrath. He gives us time to come to him. But there's a time and even the grace of God ends. And the wrath of God begins. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Do you hear that? No means leave the guilty unpunished. But see, one of the blessed truths we have, we do not have to bear the guilt of sin. Because of the fact that Jesus bore the penalty for our sin on Calvary's cross. And it's only those who reject God's provision who will face his wrath and vengeance. Notice what it says now. In whirlwind and storm, and we could say in hurricanes and in hurricanes is his way. In whirlwind and storm. That's how he deals with mankind. That's his way of doing things. That's one of his methods. He's catastrophic events. In whirlwind and storm is his way, and clouds are the dust beneath his feet. Now this simply means that the sovereign God does not resort to such severe judgment until after his loving, gracious gift has been rejected and spurned. God never pours out his wrath or vengeance upon man until they have rejected his love again and again and again and again. Remember this. We are the enemies of God. But God doesn't look at us. He is not the one who brings about that enmity. There's always grace before judgment. This is an important principle to bear in mind as we see what's happening around us. In fact, that's why I wanted to start off tonight by thanking God for not allowing the hurricane to come this way. Do you know what that indicates in the light of the scripture? God is showing us grace. He's showing us love. He's showing us mercy. He's giving us the time to repent and turn to him. Because if we don't, then perhaps what we see all around us could be happening. We have to see this as a time of God's grace and mercy. It's amazing how many times we get the warnings. Alan prayed tonight and thank God for those who go into the storms to try to find out how it's going to travel and we track it and all of that so people could make advanced preparations. That's what God is doing with us in the Bahamas. Giving us advanced preparations to avert his judgment. But you know what? Some of us will still be caught off guard. I was listening to people in Inagua today. Because you know that's who's taking a lot of it right now in Inagua. People are saying that what's happening over there never seen in all their life. But the thing is, the lady came on and says, some people have just started to prepare for it this morning. Do you believe that? Just this morning. A lady from uh, 
is Barcelona's home. San Salvador. Carl said, we only got one problem. We don't have enough food here. He says, you're going to run out of food or water. So the man came on. He says, listen, the man from Lima, we had all the opportunities to bring all the food, all the water you need. But he says, as time comes, the people who even bring the help cannot help you anymore. Otherwise, they will die. You understand what I'm saying? Waited too long. If you're here tonight and have never received Jesus Christ as Savior, up to this point, God has been showing you grace. But that could end. You need to seriously stop considering it and make that decision for Jesus Christ tonight. Notice verse 4. Yahweh, he rebukes the sea and makes it dry. Now we're talking about drying up the water. Drought is coming. Who does it? God. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. These were mighty sources of these things. The blossoms of Lebanon wither. Lebanon is where they did all, went for all the trees for sacrificing and so on. And, and, and build, even for building uh, uh, temples and all of that. All of them, all of these things, God says, I'll make wither. I'll dry up the land. God is in control. The awesome God of the universe, creator of the universe, he is in control. Look at verse 5. Mountains quake because of him, and the hills dissolve. That's an awesome God. Indeed, the earth is upheaved by his presence. These are all describing catastrophic events. Hurricanes, volcanoes, volcano, all of these things. The world and all the inhabitants in it are affected by what he does with his creation. Who can stand before his indignation? That's a challenge. This is a rhetorical question. When God gets angry, nobody can stand against him. And the context shows that he shows, he demonstrates his anger to these catastrophic events. Who can endure the burning of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken up by him. That's an awesome God. We don't like to see God described in this fashion, do we? That's why we have a false impression of who God is. That's why when we sin, we think we can get away with it because God is so loving and kind and he can do nothing to me. Uh-oh. As the preachers like to say, hello. Notice now it says broken up by him. He is directly responsible. We cannot get rid of this fact, no matter how we may not like it. It's a hard saying, but it's true nonetheless. Let me repeat this principle. The validity of a biblical truth does not depend upon or validated by our like or dislike of that truth. Did you get that? Let me state it again. The validity of a biblical truth does not depend upon or validated by our like or dislike of that truth. If God says it, whether we like it or not, that's it. The next verse reminds us of this. Verse 7. 
The Lord is good. Now, look at this now. This is mentioned in the midst of all of this upheaval and right in the midst of it. The Lord is good, even when all of these things are happening. And he's a stronghold in the day of trouble. We've been singing about that this evening. The day of trouble, the hurricane, the storms, the volcano, all of these things, the floods, the fires, and they're happening all around. For the believer, he's a stronghold even in the midst of those catastrophic events. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble and he knows those who take refuge in him. Isn't that great? He knows those who take refuge in him. That word know is a very loving, compassionate word. A very intimate. He knows them intimately. But with, notice now the but, but with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of its sight and will pursue his enemies into darkness. In other words, you're saying those who reject him, those who don't trust him, you can be sure he's coming after them. And they can't hide. They won't get away. He'd reach, he'd reach into them. God then is still available and willing to deliver and protect those who place their trust in him. What an awesome God. What a powerful God. What a sovereign God. Look at verse 9. Verse 14. Zechariah 9 now. Then the Lord will appear over them. And his arrow will go forth like lightning. And the Lord will blow the trumpet. And will march in the storm winds of the south. Do you see that? God is coming in with the lightning and the storm and the hurricanes. He's controlling them to destroy the enemies of his people. The Lord of hosts will defend them. And what is he using to defend them? Catastrophic events. Look at Zechariah 10 verse 1 as we continue. And ask rain from the Lord at the time of the spring rain. The Lord will also bless. Remember the principle? In the midst of judgment, there is mercy. The Lord who makes the storm clouds. Who makes the storm clouds? And he will give them showers of rain, vegetation in the field of each man. So he will use the same things that he uses to bring devastation upon the wicked, to bring blessing to his people. The Apostle Paul experiences in a fashion there was a messenger from Satan. You remember? First Corinthians, what is it? 12. Or is it Hebrews 12? A messenger from Satan. Paul prayed three times that God would take it away. But God also sent that same problem to Paul. So we had one event, one situation coming from God and coming from Satan at the same time. God had a plan for it, so Paul would glorify him. Satan had a plan to use the same thing to destroy his faith. Paul opted to glorify God. 
That's what God does. We're going to see that as we go on. In other words, notice verse 6. No, where am I? Right, 10.1. It's the Lord who makes the storm clouds. And remember, as I said, the storms turn into hurricanes. God uses these things to judge the wicked. The Bible is clear on that. But he uses these things for something else. He uses them to discipline his people. I'll give you one example. That's Jonah. You remember Jonah? In verse 4, chapter 1, he says, The Lord hurled the great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. You remember Jonah? He went for a cruise in the opposite direction where God wanted him to go. Remember that? And then the storm came. Everybody started to cry out for their gods. Now, if you talk about people seeking after God, those people were seeking after God. And any God would do. They went down to talk to, jo to Jonah, who's way down in the belly, sleeping on this cruise. But notice what it says. The devil hurled a great wind on the sea. Does it say that? The Lord did it. The Lord hurled this hurricane on the sea. Jonah was trying to get away from God, disobedient. So God sent a hurricane after him. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. It's amazing when people's life at stake, how they get rid of all things that seem to be so important. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep. The only thing that could awaken him was the hurricane. But even then, they couldn't have, we had to get the people to do it. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up! Call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. These, these sailors sought after God, any God, to get them out of this trouble. And Jonah, therefore, is forced to tell them that he was the guilty culprit. Now, I want you to notice this. Jonah knew he was responsible for that hurricane. And he knew God had sent it. Isn't that right? He knew he was responsible because of his disobedience. And he knew God. He didn't blame the devil for this. Now listen to the response of these pagan sailors in verse 10. Then the man, the man became extremely frightened. See now, they started to realize. Man, if this man's God could cause this kind of a hurricane, bad weather, this must be a mighty God. This must be an awesome God. The man became extremely frightened. How could you do this? But the man knew that he was fleeing for the pre from the presence of Yahweh because he had told them. How could you flee from such an awesome God, such a mighty God as this? Now they believed. They believed 
that this hurricane, this storm came from God, and Jonah believed it as well. Jonah's God had brought the storm to chastise the disobedient Jonah. I want you to see now. That still happens today in the life of the believer, you know. God sends all kinds of events, things, to bring us back. If you don't listen to his love, his grace, and all of that, then he might send a hurricane after you sometime. Or illness. Or financial problems. Or whatever. But you should be able to discern who it is that's sending it. Don't try to become politically aware. Oh, that's just circumstances. Well, that's the devil. Look at your life. Jonah knew exactly that, that why God did what he was doing. Our sovereign, awesome God uses storms and hurricanes of life to discipline and chastise disobedient children and disobedient servants. It happens today as well. But not only that. God also uses these events to test us and to increase our faith in him. This truth is seen in the story concerning Jesus and his disciples crossing the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was doing work on them, trying to teach them how to increase their faith. And then he set up now that he would go across the Sea of Galilee. He had a plan in mind. He was teaching them about faith in the chapters before. Now he says, I'm going to put you... This is, you have to read this into the story as you see the whole context. Jesus said, now I'm going to put you in a place where you have to exercise the faith I was teaching you about. Look at the, look at the scriptures in Matthew 8. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus was like Jonah. He was asleep in the boat. But now Jesus sleep was different from Jonah's sleep. Quite different. Jonah was one of guilt. Jesus was one of a, of a teacher. And we'll see why in a moment. He was assured that he was in control. Jesus himself was asleep. Now it doesn't say specifically that Jesus caused the storm unless you read the whole story and you'll see it in context here. He was teaching them of the need to have faith in him and his words. Now, Jesus is putting them in a the place where he, they can demonstrate that. Jesus is sleeping, though. Notice this. Jesus is sleeping. Where? In the midst of the storm. Where is Jesus? He's right there with the apostles. But he's sleeping in the midst. I want you to see how unaware these men were. So hard. It just seemed that they weren't getting anything Jesus was teaching. They came to him saying, save us, Lord. We are perishing. Now, where was Jesus? He's right in the boat. So what were they implying? What were they implying? If they were perishing, he would perish also. See, these people just weren't thinking. Jesus is there, right there with him. And they come up to him. We're perishing. This teacher had just been involved in teaching them about the need to have faith in him. Now Jesus has given them an opportunity to do it. And they failed the test. They overlooked the fact that he was in the boat with them. 
Never forget that. No matter how great the storm or hurricane in your life is, Jesus is right there with you. Don't forget that. He never leaves or abandons his own. Verse 26, and he said to them, why are you timid? I think the King James says, why are you afraid? You men of little faith. See, Jesus put them in a situation where they could show their faith in him. And they failed the test. Then he arose and he rebuked the winds and the sea. And it became perfectly clear, perfectly calm, showing that he is master of the elements. The man marveled, saying, what kind of a man is this? That even the winds and the sea obey him. I love that. What kind of a man is this? Jesus was teaching them about faith, and they didn't realize what kind of a man he was until he stood up in the midst of that storm, and he says, be quiet. And the winds and the sea all calmed down, and they were quiet. All of a sudden, they saw this man in a new light. Why are you so timid, you men of little faith? They should not have been timid or afraid with Jesus in the boat. He had just taught them the need to trust him. Now he had given them the opportunity to show that they had learned the lesson and they failed the test. So now he had to show them his power again. He showed them that he was in control of the storm. He showed them that he was sovereign over creation. Look at your own life. How many times does God have to teach you the same lesson before you get it? You go through trouble, he delivers you. You go through it again, you cry, you holler, you get depressed. He comes and he delivers you again. You go through trouble again, you cry, you holler, and you get depressed. You're not learning the lesson. And sometimes Jesus has to say, okay, looks like you need that to be taught a little different way. I learned that lesson when I was in Weston Senior. T.G. Glover, well, Weston Junior too, but especially Weston Senior, was the headmaster. When you do anything wrong, you go to his office. You have to go to the place and get the cane yourself. And if you get it too small, you can send it back and add three cuts. They call it cuts. So I went and got the bamboo, and he's used bamboo. He's like to do it like this, you know, when you flip it, boom. And then the first time you go, you get two cuts. The second time you go, you get three cuts. On a day, I mean. But if you go the third time, he say, lean over the desk. And then the rod of correction is applied to the seat of understanding. <laughs> you see, cut one, cut two, all of those are gracious. Until the third time, then you get it on the seat. You understand what I'm saying? God does that as well. He does the same thing. And sometimes if he doesn't get you and he talks to you gently, he has to shout at you. He has to hollow at you. You need to discern what it is that God is saying to you in the storms and hurricanes of your life. But you can be sure of this. If you are a child of God, he is there with you and he is teaching you something. 
And notice this. Verse 28. When he came to the other side into the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. Right out of the ship, right into this devilish situation. They were so extremely violent, no one could pass by the way. Now here's a vital lesson or insight we could learn from this. We need to rest in Christ during the storms of life to face the devil when the storm is over. Let me repeat that. We need to rest faith in Jesus during the storms and hurricanes of life in order to face the devil effectively after the storm is finished. Because don't think that everything is finished once the difficulty part is difficulties are gone. No, no. That's when the devil is waiting for you. That's when he's waiting for you. During the storm, we must place our faith in Christ to care and to protect us. Because we're going to face much greater threats from the devil afterwards. We need to rest in the storm to face the devil afterwards. But again, the sovereign awesome God also uses storms and hurricanes to teach endurance. This has to do, and I'll just be quickly with this one, has to do with the story concerning Paul on one of his missionaries, who actually was going towards Rome. He was taking a boat there. And this is what it says in Acts 27. This is after the storm comes up in the sea now, and everybody's afraid that they're going to die. And it says, since many of them had no desire to eat, I guess most of them are seasick now, <coughs> Paul stood up among them and said, men, <coughs> excuse me, men, you should have listened to me and not put out to sea from Crete, thus avoiding this damage and loss. Now, this truth is taught in the story of Paul's journey, as I said. They were caught in a storm, sort of a hurricane, and even the seasoned sailors thought they would all die. Now, look at what he says in verse 22. And now I advise you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship will be lost. For last night an angel of God to whom I belong, to the God to whom I belong, and whom I serve, came to me and said, I love that, the God whom I love, the God whom I serve. Notice, he says, keep up your courage. In other words, endure what you're going through right now. In spite of the hardships, the seeming hopelessness of the situation, keep up your courage. I'm here to cause you, to teach you how to endure the situation. Why? Paul says, I have a word from God. And it's always the word of God that teaches us how to endure in times of trouble. Verse 27. Do not be afraid. This is what the angel said to Paul. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and God has graciously granted you the safety of all who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will be just as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Paul says, listen, we're going to be saved, but we're going to some trouble. And I want to teach you how to endure. And I am enduring. Why? Because I have a word from God. And that always is a source of encouragement and faith. Notice verse 25. Keep up your courage, man. I have faith in God. He was teaching them how to endure by placing their faith in God while he was doing the same thing. 
In other words, in the midst of all of these problems and triumphs and placing faith in the Word of God, Paul was going through this experience and he was teaching others how to go through it at the same time. God always does that in our life. He teaches us how to teach others to go through the storms and hurricanes of life effectively. He teaches us in 1 Corinthians 3. All of life, far as God is con- our life, as far as God is concerned, is a, is a school for us to learn how to minister to others. That's what's happening here. Teaching him how to endure. He says in verse 31, Paul said to centurion, and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, they wanted to bail out, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut the ropes of the ship's boat and let it drift away. Now, if we had time, we could build on this. These boats were their lifeline. If anything happened, the lifeboats were there. But you know what Paul said? Let them go adrift. Don't put your faith in the boats. The things that you supply. I want you to place faith in the word of God. God came to me, say you're going to be safe. You believe that. We need to do that. In times of problems and distress and difficulties. Verse 33. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day you have been in in suspense and have gone without food. You have eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for this is important for your survival, for not one of you will lose a hair from his head. That's the man of God speaking, based on the word of God. None of you. I don't care how hopeless it seems. I have the word of God. I believe it. I want you to believe it also. Not a hair of your head will be disturbed. So what is Paul saying? Trust God and eat. Even when things seem to be tough. It's amazing how people, when they get in tough situations, don't eat. Isn't that right? They become depressed. They lock up in their home and everything, but they don't eat. The very thing they need for strength, they do nothing. But this is a practical lesson. Have faith in God and take care of yourself. Verse 35. After he said this, Paul took bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Beautiful. Broke it, began to eat. So all of them were encouraged. All of them were encouraged and took food themselves. He gave thanks for the provisions God had made, even in the midst of the hurricane. That's why, again, I said, we need to give thanks. The fact that all of the hurricanes all around us, but we're safe. We need to give God thanks. Look at the result then, finally, in verse 36. So then all were encouraged. All were encouraged through the demonstration of Paul's faith in the word of God. In spite of the circumstances. God is the God of the storms. God is the God of the hurricanes and all the chaotic things of life. He sovereignly uses them to judge the wicked, discipline the disobedient believers, increase our faith, and to teach endurance. Beloved, as members of the incredible body of Christ, we can trust our sovereign God even in the midst of storms and hurricanes. He is in control of them all. Our God is an awesome God. 